We're in a series entitled, Do Something. And that is that um, it is an action-centered theme because we read an action-centered Bible. When you go through God's Word, you'll notice as you read through it that there are times when God tells us there are things that we just need to do. In James 1.22, it says, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so over these next few weeks, as we come together to worship here at Shades Mountain Baptist and those that are worshiping with us by live stream, we are going to look at what the Bible says, the things that we need to do to where we just need to kind of get up from our, uh, from where we've just been sitting and stand up and do some things that God says that we are to do. And so today we're going to focus on, uh, on the theme of work heartily. And it comes from Colossians chapter 3. And in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, we're going to see where God says there's something that he wants us to do. He doesn't want us to think about it. He doesn't tell it's up for discussion. It's not to take it under advisement. He says this is what you are to do. And follow with me. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. Studies have shown that for working adults, we will spend 60% of our life at work. 60% of our life is spent at work. So if you've got that much of your life that's going to be spent at work, I think we need to understand what does the Bible say about work and how should we approach it? Because in this passage, the Apostle Paul, to a letter to the church at Colossae, says, hey, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord. So let me give you a biblical foundation of work. And there's two main points I want you to know. Number one, God is a worker. God is a worker. When we are introduced to the God of the Bible, it starts right out in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first picture that we get of God is that he is a creator. He created the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a good bit of work personally. So the whole universe created by God the Father. And whenever you th- Think about that. That means in this creating process, it's something that is, uh, that is thoughtful, that is purposeful. It is enthusiastic. He's energetic about what he's doing and he creates this entire world. And so when you gauge that very first verse, you see that God is a worker. But then you go a little bit further near the end of the chapter and in Genesis 1:31, it says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. He stepped back. And he had a deep sense of satisfaction about a job well done. And each day in the creation, he said, this was good, this was good, this was good. And at the very end, he just stepped back and he said, hey, this is all pretty good. This is really good. And then in Genesis 2-2, it says, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. As you begin to build your theology of work, one thing I can just slide in here real quickly is that even God the Father, as he created the universe, it says on the seventh day, he stepped back and he rested. We all need a Sabbath. We all need to rest. So we're not supposed to be 24-7 in our jobs, okay? That's just a little aside. Now, how do you summarize it? You summarize it, Psalm 111, verses 1 through 2, and it says this. 
Greater the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in his work. You see where it says studied by all who delight in them? If you talk to a physicist or molecular biologist or geneticist or an astronomer who sees the world in faith and they describe the amazing intricacies of God's creation, there is no doubt that Almighty God is an amazing worker. So it starts out with not just some grandfather sitting on a throne. It starts out as a creator God, God who is at work. But then, not only does God at work, the second point that you need to know is that we are God's co-workers. We are God's co-workers. In Genesis 2.15, it says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So then, all of a sudden, God creates man. And he didn't just create man to say, hey, tell you what, you sit on this bench and you and I will just fellowship together. When he created man, he had a purpose for him, and his purpose was he put him in the garden to work. He was to work it, and he was to keep it. And so we were created in the image of God to be co-creators with him. That is one of the ways that we glorify God. Our primary mission at creation is to work the garden and have dominion over creation. That's what he created man to do. And he says, you work the garden, you have dominion over creation, and he begins to start this process. And he brings in man to be a part of that work. Listen, we have the same assignment as the original Adam. We are called to partner with God in his work. We are to make our secular work as close as possible to the purposeful, joyous work as God gave Adam in the garden. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Now look at that verse. We are God's workmanship. That means we're his masterpiece. We're what he has put together. Created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which he has prepared beforehand. So God has created us to do good works. He's prepared us beforehand. And a part of that is whatever our, our work is, our job is. Because what God has said is, I've created you, I've wired you in a certain way, and I've got a purpose for you, and I've got a work for you to do. And so he's known beforehand what it is that he wants you to do. He already has these things in mind. When God created Adam, he set him up in the garden, and he had a specific work for him to do. Now, I think everybody has a sweet spot. Everybody has something that they really enjoy, that they're passionate about, and that they're good at. And I think it's God's desire that he puts us in that, in that sweet spot. When he found Adam, when he created Adam, he then took Adam and he placed him in the garden and gave him a job to do. I'm going to step out on a limb and say that was Adam's sweet spot. I'd say Adam was good at that. That's where Adam was going to get, uh, going to get some excitement, going to feel some purpose because God says, this is what you're supposed to do. Let me give you a challenge. I think every one of us needs to look for your garden work. Look for your garden work. What, what is that passion? What is that that God has created you for? As God has put you together, what is it that he has made you so passionate about and good at that that's what you need to be doing? And some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure exactly how I can kind of put it in paper, what things I'm good at. 
We have an amazing ministry uh, and a class called Divine Design that Kim Hancock leads that ministry. And just getting through a divine design class helps you to see these are the things I'm excited about. These are things I'm good at. This is how I'm shaped. This is my personality. These are my interests. These are my life experiences. And you put all of that together and it'll give you a good idea as to this is who you are. This is how you were designed. And there are people that will go through a class like that and they will realize that the, the secular work that they're in, they're saying, you know, this is really not my sweet spot. There is something else within the secular community that I really need to be doing that I think would give me more passion. Look for your garden work. God has created us to be co-creators with him. And just from everything I know from reading in scripture and reading about God, he didn't create you to be miserable in your work for your whole life. God desires you to do something that is enjoyable, that is passionate. The bottom line is we've been created not to sit, not to depend on handouts, not to see how much unemployment compensation we can get. We have been created to work. And see, I know there's some of you, there's always people in this congregation who said, I'm between jobs, I'm out of work, I'm looking for a job. And people have come and talked to me. And it's some of the most frustrating times because you really want to work. It's just that no job has been available on that. And my heart goes out to you. And that's just where you continue to pray and continue to seek and know that there's a place that God's got for you, for you to be able to work. We, God created us to be workers, to be co-creators on that. So that's a biblical foundation. God is a God who's a worker God. He's created us to be co-creators with him in that work. So what are some of the elements of a biblical view of work? You said, okay, Danny, uh, I know I got to work. Most people here said, hey, I'm at work. I've, I've, I've got my job. Most students over here, you're either going to graduate from high school or go to college, and, and hopefully your end result is we're going to work somewhere, do something. So what are the elements of that? When God's word says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, what exactly does that mean? Okay, let's just break those, those verses apart, 23 and 24, and get an element of a biblical view of work. First of all, all ethical work is a calling of God. I put in the word ethical. I originally had the outline, all work is a calling of God. Now, I know someone would raise their hand and say, drug dealer, is that a calling of God? <laughs> someone would say, prostitute, is that a... And I'm God. So now I went through all this list. I said, let's put the word ethical, okay? So all ethical work is a calling of God. If you're not sure what the word ethical means and you're in the midst of a job, call me and I'll be glad to give you my own opinion as to whether that's ethical or not. But that's <clears throat> we're looking at all ethical work. It is a calling of God. That verse starts out, it says, whatever you do. Whatever you do, it doesn't say certain things you do, a few things you do. It says whatever you do, that's a calling of God. You need to do that work heartily as for the Lord, whatever you do. And the last line in verse 24 says, you are serving the Lord Christ. So whatever you're doing is a calling to serve him. It's a calling. You see, your ministry is wherever God calls you at any point in time. And God will call you to many different places, and he calls you to follow him wherever you are. God called me as, as a college graduate to go work uh, for, uh, for the telephone company. And that was his call. And that's where I went. 
And so as I was there and I worked and, and that calling was there for those eight and a half years, and then God said, okay, you've been prepared there because I've got something else for you, and that is to go into the ministry and go into the pastorate. And that's a calling. It was a much, as much of a calling uh, there in 1975 when I went to work for the telephone company as the calling was in 1984 when I decided to go to seminary. And so God calls you to follow, <clears throat> follow him, and he places you in a place of service. It, it, it was interesting. I've, I was reading about this, and it's inter- someone phrased it exactly what I think I have been thinking, and that is that too often in church world, in Christian world, we put a hierarchy of importance of positions available to Christians. And um, we have a tendency to make it like almost like a pyramid. Now, at the top of the pyramid, if you're really a good Christian and you're going to really do a work that God wants you to do, it is, number one, missionary to Africa, India, or maybe even Indonesia or Middle East. That's like the number one. And if you're up there, you're in the stratosphere. Okay, you're the best of the best. Second, pastor, for sure. Um, Way down, staff member. Uh, no, you know, they get, they get, you know, pastors number two, and you're a pastor of a church. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're 10 people or 10,000. You know, you're the pastor of the church. God speaks to you, through you. So that's why right up there, number two. And, and then kind of a subset of that is all of these other staff members called the youth ministry or children's ministry or executive pastors and administrative pastors and all of that. Then that, that's, that's right. That's 2A and B all in there. Well, then you get to the, the third strata on there. And the third strata is when you work for a Christian organization or a Christian school. So if you work for Samford, you know, you're there. Now, if you work for Auburn, UAB, Alabama, you're down further. But, you know, the Christian organization, all the Samford people have amen me over here. But, but you know, you got that Christian organization, Christian school, uh, then that's, that's the third one. Then the fourth level, when you get down to the fourth level, that is the service profession, such as doctors and social workers or advocates. And, and those kind of people are, are around, are around number number four, okay? Uh, and I'm, I'm looking, I see Bruce Ely here, and I'm trying to figure out where tax attorneys come, and they're way, way down, but I'm, <clears throat> but I'm, uh, we don't have the time for me to get that far down uh, for you on that, Bruce. But, but then, all of a sudden, you get to number five. You get to the bottom rung, which we all are there, and it says, people that go into business to financially support the top of the pyramid. And so what happens is, is every other secular employment, kind of falls down there at number five. And at times you come to services and you hear people talking about God's call on your life and, and, and you kind of tune that out because you say, you know, I'm just a number five. I'm down there in the bottom of the pyramid and I can't be the missionary or the pastor or I don't get to work for Samford or some of these other places. You know, there's only one thing wrong with that and it's just flat out wrong. Because what it is is that God has called you to say whatever you do, do it heartily as for the Lord, because it is the Lord Jesus Christ that you serve. And so you serve the Lord in whatever you do. Did you not hear Elizabeth Arnold? What a great testimony she shared. She says, I'm a nurse, and I see that as my ministry, and I have an opportunity to minister to people in the job that I am in. Listen, God needs his people in boardrooms and business offices just as much as he needs them in churches, classrooms, and operating rooms. Most of you are going to be called to secular workplaces to serve the needs of society, 
as well as your own. Now think about this. Most believe that uh, Jewish youth started working when they were 13 years of age. So Jesus, from his working life, from 13 to 33, he had 20 years of adult working life. 85% of that was spent as a carpenter in secular work. How about that? We just think about the three that we read about in the Gospels. But for 85% of his life, he was in secular work. He was doing a hard work as a carpenter. He was there and he was, he was creating things and, and he was getting his hands cut and he was getting rough on his hands and he was sweating like crazy. He was probably, uh, running into situations where someone says that's not quite the way I wanted it to be and, and, uh, he's got bosses that were probably, uh, saying there's a product over here that I want you to fix for me and I'm not real happy with that. All these kind of things go back and forth. 85% of his life was secular position. Now, I laugh because I read <clears throat> what someone else has said, and they said, listen, when you read through the Bible and you read about the biblical heroes, most of those were in secular work. Think about it. Noah, he's a zookeeper. Uh, he was a boat builder. He was a cruise ship captain. I mean, this is Noah. Abraham, he was a real estate developer. Esther, she wins a pageant, gets to be a part of a harem, and then later on she becomes queen. How about Daniel? He graduates from college and goes and he becomes like the president of Iraq back there. I mean, these heroes of the faith that we talk about, the Noahs, the Abrahams, the Esthers, the Daniels, these are, these are lay people. They are working in, circ- in secular work. And God used them in an amazing way. So we need to understand that everything that we do, God calls us to do that work heartily as for him. All ethical work is a calling of God. Knowing that will impact you in two areas. Number one, it will increase the value of your work. If you will see your work as a calling of God, it will increase the value of your work. Because it means that not, no matter what you're doing, an ethical job, you're saying, God's called me. This is where I am to be at this particular time. So the work that I am doing is important. Whether you're a window washer or whether you're on Wall Street, if you carry this view, you're going to see something great, a great intrinsic value in your work. And number two is, it also brings accountability to work. It brings accountability to work. It says in here in that... um, uh, that whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men because it is the Lord Jesus Christ you serve. So you may be able to pull something on your boss, but you can't pull something on God. That means God is always watching you. God never forgets. And there will be a time of accountability. And so that adds in that measure of accountability. I don't want to slough in my job just because my boss is clueless and I think I can get away with it. There's a greater accountability because I'm not just serving that boss. I'm serving God and I'm serving Jesus Christ. And so that means that my work ethic is going to be even, even better. Okay. All right. Number two, all work should get my best. All work should get my best. In that verse, it says, whatever you do, do your work heartily, heartily. That's a, that's a Greek word, a New Testament word where we get our word life, breath, and soul comes from this word. It is the vital force that animates the body. 
Think about it. A vital force that animates the body. It describes a person's commitment in acting or fulfilling God's will with his entire energy. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. It's an action-packed word. It's energy. It's my heart. It's my soul. And I'm going to get after it with all your strength. There was a poll that was done a number of years by Gallup. And they uh, did a poll of people who were working. And it says 50% of the people that responded to their poll said that they were not engaged in their job. And what that means by not engaged, it means they were not engaged in their jobs personally. It means they may be productive at work, but they had no passion for what they do. It's just a means to an end. Just a means to an end. I encountered this after I was in the phone company for um, probably about three years, been there three, maybe four years. And I was working over there in a particular area of the company. And uh, one of the managers, this is what I would aspire to be, okay, the guy that was over us. Every year, some of you get this in your company, you get your benefits mailed to you and you open it up and it tells you what your benefits are and says, hey, when you retire at this, and this is probably, you know, what you'll be making. And they just got that mailed out to us. And uh, he opens his up and he comes walking out of his office and he said, Woo, just got my sheet over here. Just 12 more years and I can be out of here. Now I'm sitting at a cubicle going over here saying, is this what I want to do for the rest of my life? (laughs) Do I want to get to that point where it says, just 12 more years and I'm out of here? You know, I made, a, I made a silent commitment to myself. I said, Danny, don't ever get to that point in your life. Don't ever get in the point in your life to where all you're doing is just counting the days to say, oh, be done with this. No. Whatever you do, do your work heartily. And when you say heartily, that means there's an effort, enthusiasm, and excellence on the job. And what's scary is that 50% of the people just said that they're really not that engaged. Here's what's scary. On top of that, 22% said that they were disengaged. That means they didn't look to be productive. They're just there to get a paycheck in the comfort of work. They didn't really care if they did the job right or not. See, to me, that's horrible. That's completely against Scripture. Jesus, When Paul wrote, he didn't say, whatever you do, just do it to get by. He said, whatever you do, do your work heartily. A half-hearted work is a poor testimony. And as a Christian, we are to give 100% in our jobs and be the best employee possible. And that means when they, when they line up the people in the group, they need to look and they, and they take 10. And if four of those are believers, those four should be the top employees. Doesn't mean they're the top producing employees. I know things happen, but the ones that give the best effort and got the best attitude, they should be able to identify and say, these four, they're standing out. Effort, enthusiasm, effort on the job. That's what you want. We got a little taste of that, uh, just a, a little bit uh, here um, at the beginning of the year, end of last year, beginning of this year. Tommy Buchanan and I uh, coached a senior seniors girl basketball team uh, that played in a rec league. Okay, and and we say a loose term when we say a basketball team because really none of these girls had had really played much. Um, and the more we looked at them, we didn't know what they played ever. But uh, they, they, they talked to us and they said, you know, we've played some, but a lot of them haven't played in a number of years. It, it, we've never, never won a game. So we set the goal is to win one game. That was our goal. I told Tom, y'all remember, remember the Titans uh, movie? <laughs> I had to throw that in. Remember the Titans movie? At the very end, when uh, they win the championship and they're walking off the field and two coaches, 
And uh, assistant coach looks over Coach Boone, and he says, man, what you did with those boys is an amazing thing. And Coach Boone looked at him. He says, Coach, you're Hall of Fame in my book. You know, and he held the ball up. You're Hall of Fame in my book. I told Tommy Buchanan, I said, we win that first game. We walk out in the parking lot. I'm going to look you in the eye. I'm going to say, Tommy, you're Hall of Fame in my book. And guess what? We won one. And these girls went crazy. There was such an excitement and joy. Not only did we win one, but we had a winning season. Five wins, four losses. Tommy Buchanan, Hall of Fame coach. All right. So, but what happened with those girls is they really got energetic. I mean, they could have sat there and just cruised through this thing and said, well, I really don't have the skills or knowledge. They worked hard. And it was amazing to see how much better they were at the end than they were at the beginning because they had enthusiasm, they had energy. And as I look at that, it's the same thing that can happen in a work. When you get into that job, have some effort, have some enthusiasm, and then all of a sudden there'll be some excellence on the job. Now, see, I know some of you are sitting out here saying, Dan, you have no idea how boring and monotonous my job is. I understand that. Every one of us will go through seasons to where our job is hard, laborious, and just flat out monotonous. And a lot of us have started out our careers that way. And we do these so, what we think are meaningless tasks, but what's happening is they're developing us, and they're developing our professional competence. And we're getting to the point to where we begin to learn what our ethical boundaries are. What do we say yes to? What do we say no to? And at times, we understand what it means to suffer the consequences. These are all learning experiences. And you can glorify Christ even in the most mundane things that you have to do. Do I understand that? Yeah. I was a kid hired out of Auburn University, went up to the uh, 24th floor of the Bell System building downtown. They were, they were just building that floor. And when I came by for an interview, they showed me. There weren't even cubicles up there and just said, this is where your cubicle will be. They were just putting together a marketing department. They didn't know what they were doing, and so they said, let's hire someone that doesn't know what he's doing. And it was a perfect match. And so I'm there in this new service management position to where a kid with no experience having to manage uh, men and women who've been with a company for 30 years and, uh, and from five different states. And, and part of that sounds exciting, but another part of it was just flat-out monotonous. I had to put together a touch-tone report. Now, see, for a lot of you younger people, you didn't know there used to be a rotary dial phone. <laughs> and, and back in the 70s, we were trying to get everybody off of rotary and, and on to touch-tone. And I had to come up with a report for the five states on all this touch-tone conversion. I sat up in that downtown building to 3.30 in the morning. There wasn't anybody else up there. But every scary movie I'd ever seen came back to my mind to haunt me. <laughs> Any kind of sound, I said, is this one of those night watchman guys who's like an alien going to get me over here, over there? Yeah, I was up till 3.30 doing that report. And then I went home, I got three hours sleep, and I came back, and I was there at 8, 8.30 the next morning, spending that whole day to finish that report to turn in. Is, is that just boring and laborious stuff? Some of you are saying, that's my life. Hey, when you go through that, you just stay the course because what God is doing, he's teaching you, he's training you, and he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. I love what Martin Luther King says. He says this, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. It's not necessarily what we do, but it's how we do it. 
Okay? Number three. All work is working for God. All work is working for God. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We are each called to be his representatives. We're called to be stewards of this world, reflecting his holy and loving care in it. I love the old story. I heard this years and years ago. I just, I just think it's great. Man walked up, saw these people uh, at a construction site, and they're a bunch of bricklayers. And he asked, he says, what are you doing? The first guy says, well, I'm laying brick. He asked the second one, he says, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm building a wall. So he asked the third one, he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm erecting a great cathedral for the worship of a holy God. All three were doing the exact same job, but all three had a different perspective. Whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord. All our work is working for God. And you see, the truth is, is that Christ is our boss. And we need to have that mentality in whatever we're doing. You go about your work. If you were typing that letter, you were typing that letter for Jesus to sign. If you're building a house, you're building a house so that Jesus would live in it. If you're programming a computer, you're programming so Jesus could use that. Whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord. And see, there's no doubt at all that if Jesus really were your boss, you'd probably be willing to obey a lot more. You'd argue a lot less and you would delay a lot less. And you would try to give your best all day long. That's what he's saying here. Paul's saying, Christ is your boss. He's your superior. And so do your work if that's it. See, I need to remind you that how a Christian works in his job reflects on Jesus Christ, regardless of who your employer may be. People are not going to be inclined to listen to the testimony of a Christian who does shoddy, careless work or is constantly complaining, whining, or just getting by. You are Christ at work. You are the testimony. And so you're able to go into places that myself and and none of our other staff can go. And that is you're in your work. You're there in the eight to five You rub your shoulders with the people, your peers, the bosses, and those that are under you, and you get to be Christ at work. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, and that's where that great impact comes. Because he's sad to say when we sit there and say, hey, you need to invite people from your work to come to church. You won't do that. And the reason you won't is because of the poor testimony that you've got in your work right now. You would almost be embarrassed to invite someone to come to church. They'd say, you go to church? See, it needs to be so that we can just live that out for Christ. So it's, it's just a natural expression to where it only makes sense for us to say, hey, I'd like you to come visit us at Shades. We've got something really cool happening this week. I'd love for you to come. And uh, all of a sudden, there are conversations that can, that can start up because of that. So... Your primary responsibility is to make the gospel attractive to the unsaved. You are God's representative in that office, in that classroom, or even on that assembly line. You may be God's only representative in your workplace. Therefore, it's crucial you work in such a way that will bring glory to God. Here's the last thing, and that is that all work done rightly is promised rewards from God. All work that's done rightly is promised rewards from God. At the end of verse 24, it says, from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. From the Lord, you will receive the inheritance of your reward. When you go to work, you get 
uh, paid either weekly or monthly or, uh, or twice a month, and you get that paycheck. And when you get that paycheck, if you're a believer, not only do you get the paycheck and all the perks that come with the job, you also get the rewards from Christ. Because it says here, from the Lord you receive the inheritance of your reward. And that is part of the total inheritance of glory that's laid up for you in heaven. But I also believe there's some in the here and now. I believe that if we work hard, that sometimes God will pour out on us prosperity. And that for some, because they've done the the excellent work and had the attitude and the effort and everything, that God honors those, those efforts and that hard work, and some will be blessed with prosperity. Some of the reward, I believe, is influence. God will bless you with influence. Because you're living for Christ, and because when they see you, they say, now this guy or this gal is doing the job right. And all of a sudden, you've got influence. And that way, when you speak up and say something, they will listen. Because you're not the whiner complainer. You're the one that's getting after it. And because you're getting after it, when you say something, then the rest of the business, they're going to listen to you. And you carry influence. And see, we feel keep saying, well, how do we make a change? How do we change this culture? How do we change this work environment? How do we change our society? Part of the way that we do that is just living for Christ. And when you live for Christ, your life should be different. And that way, when they're looking across, they see everyone in the office, the whiners and the complainers and the ones that are always cussing and, and talking bad about their spouses and talking bad about their kids and talking bad about their bosses and stuff. And here you are, a bright light over here that says, you know what, I just love my spouse. Man, I love my kids. I'm going to work hard over here. And, and I know that they're going to, they've asked us to do something that seems tough, but hey, we've got to bow up and get after it. Let's go do that. Then all of a sudden, there's a difference there. And you're going to be amazed because of that difference. It it means that you will carry influence that you never really thought you carried. And there will be a time when you're sitting there and someone's going to circle around and come back to you and they're going to say, hey, you got a moment to talk? He said, I don't really know who else to go to, but my wife and I, man, it's just been tough. And I've just been listening to you and you talk. I said, "Can, can you just let me talk to you a little bit? Or are you going to find that someone's going to come to you and say, my world just got rocked. I just came back from the doctor. And it was, it was just a simple test, and I thought everything was going to be fine. They tell me I've got cancer. And, um, you know, I'm getting ready to go home and tell my family. I'm not sure what to do, how to do this. All of a sudden, you're Christ there at work. You're his representative at work. You see, and these are some of the rewards that we get because we get that opportunity, that, uh, that influence to be able to talk to people and to pour into their lives. Do something. Paul says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ that you serve. Let's go out this next week and let's evaluate how we handle ourselves at our place of work. And say, God, do I need to make some adjustments? Because I want to be that man or woman of influence. I want to be that representative of Christ there in that work. I want to be the one, Lord, that does something. And every one of us, starting tomorrow, we can do something. And we can do our work and do it heartily as for the Lord.
Let me ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that, uh, that as you created us and you gave us so many things that we can do here on this earth. And I thank you that we're not limited to just being a missionary or a pastor, but there's so many things out in the secular world that you put us out there to be salt and light and to do that work. I pray that you'll speak to the hearts of the people that are here today. And Lord, that each one of us will evaluate what we're like from eight to five. And are we truly being a great representation of Jesus Christ? May you speak to our hearts and may we be convicted and may we step from this place with boldness. May we have a better value as to what we are doing and to feel good about where we are and the calling that you've placed on our lives. And may we walk from here being representatives of Jesus Christ because we're doing our work heartily. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.